0: 38. A plain superficies is that of which two opposite speeches being taken. The line between them evidently lies wholly in the direction of Downing Street. A plain angle is the evident inclination, and consequent this cation, of a member for a certain place, or it is the meeting together of two members who are not in the same line of politics. When a member sits on the cross benches, and shows no particular inclination to one side or the other, it is called a right angle. An obtuse angle is that in which the inclination is evidently to the treasury. An acute angle is that in which the inclination is apparently to the opposition benches. A boundary is the extremity or whipper-in of any party. A party is that which is kept together by one or more whippers in. A circular member is a rum figure, produced by turning round, and is such that all lines of politics centre in himself, and are the same to him. The diameter of a circular member is a line drawn on the treasury, and terminating in both pockets trilateral members, or waverers, are those which have three sides, of three-sided members an equilateral or independent member is that to a which all sides are the same, an isosceles or vacillating member is that to a which two sides only are the same, a scaly nor scaly member has no one side which is equal to his own interest, parallel lines of politics are such as are in the same direction say Downing Street, but which, being produced ever so far say to a Windsor do not meet, A political problem is a Tory proposition, showing that the country is to be done. A theorem is a Whig proposition the benefit of which to anyone but the Whigs always requires to be demonstrated. A corollary is the consequent confusion brought about by adopting the preceding Whig proposition. A deduction is that which is drawn from the revenue by adopting the preceding Whig proposition. Major B-N-I-O-W-S-K's new art of memory A gentleman who boasts one of those proper names in sky which are naturally enough transmitted, from pole to pole, undertakes to teach the art of remembering upon entirely new principles. We know not what the merit of his invention may be, but we beg leave to ask the Major a few general questions, and we, therefore, respectfully inquire whether his system would be capable of effecting the following miracles. first. Would it be possible to make Sir James Graham remember that he not long since declared his present colleagues to be men wholly unworthy of public confidence? 2. Dealey, would Major Benioski's plan compel a man to remember his tailor's bill, and, if so, would it go so far as to remind him to call for the purpose of paying it? 3. dly would the new system of memory enable Mr. Walkley to refrain from forgetting himself? 4. Th. Lee, would the phrenotypics, or brain printing, as it is called? Succeed in stereotyping a pledge in the recollection of a Member of Parliament? 5th Lee. Is it possible for the New Art to cause Sir Robert Peel to remember from one week to the other his political promises? We fear these questions must be answered in the negative, but we have a plan of our own for exercising the memory, which will beat that of Denial, or any other sky, who ventures to propose one. Our Proposition Island, Red Punch and we will be bound that no one will ever forget it who has once enjoyed the luxury. Songs for the Sentimental. Number 9. I wandered through our native fields, and one was by my side who seemed fraught with each beauty nature yields, whilst from her eye affection beamed, it was so like what fairy books, in painting heaven, are want to tell, that fondly I believed those looks, and found to relate twas all a cell, twas all a cell, she vowed I was her all her life and proved, methought, her words by size. she longed to hear me call her wife, and fed on hope which love supplies, ah, then I felt it had been to doubt that she could e'er belie her vows, I found twas only tin she sought, and love was all my eye, was all my eye, shipping intelligence, the shamrock ran upon a timber raft on Monday morning, and was off deal in ten minutes afterwards, the storm of Thursday did considerable damage to the shipping in the Thames, A coal was picked up off Vauxhall, which gave rise to a report that a barge had gone down in the offing. On making inquiries at Lloyd's, we asked what were the advices, when we were advised to mind our own business, an answer we have too frequently received from the underlings of that establishment. The Bachelor has been telegraphed on its way up from Chelsea. It is expected to bring the latest news relative to the gas lights on the Kensington Road, which, it is well known are expected to enjoy a disgraceful sinecure during the winter. Captain Snooks, of the Daffy Dondilly, committed suicide by jumping down the chimney of the steamer under his command. The rash act occasioned a momentary flare-up, but did not impede the action of the machinery. A rudder has been seen floating off Southwark. It has a piece of rope attached to it. Lloyd's people have not been down to a look at it. This shameful neglect has occasioned much conversation in freshwater circles and shows an apathy which it is frightful to contemplate, to Sororobiardi, doctors, they say, are heartless, cannot feel have you no core, or are you not but feel, a pleasant assurance, the Marquis of Normandy, we perceive, has been making some inquiries relative to the drainage bills, and has been assured by Lord Ellenborough that the subject should meet the attention of government during the recess, we place full reliance on his lordship's promise the drainage of the country has been ever a paramount object with our and tory rulers christianity price fifteen shillings the english poor have tender teachers in the first place the genius of money by a hundred direct and indirect lessons preaches to them the infamy of destitution thereby softening their hearts to a sweet humility with a strong sense of their wickedness then comes law with its whips and bonds to chastise and tie up the offending Adam, that island the Adam without a pocket. And then the gentle violence of kindly Mother Church leads the poor man far from the fatal presence of his gorgon wants. To consort him with meek and charity. To give him glimpses of the land of promise. To make him hear the rippling waters of eternal truth. To feast his senses with the odors of eternal sweets. Happy English poor. Ye are not scurfed with the vanities of the flesh under the affectionate discipline of the British magi lsd the three kings, tasking human muscles, banqueting on human heartstrings, ye are happily rescued from any visitation of those worldly comforts that hold the weakness of humanity to a life. Hence, by the benevolence of those who have only solid acres, ye are permitted to have an unlimited portion of the sky, and banned by the mundane ones who have wine in their cellars. And venison in the larder from the gross diet of beer and beef ye are permitted to take your belly full of the savory food cooked for the Hebrew patriarch. Once a week, at least, ye are invited to feast with Joseph in the house of Pharaoh. And yet, stiff-necked generation that ye are, ye stay from the banquet and then complain of hunger. Shall there be no punishment for this obduracy? Asks kindly Mother Church, her eyes red with weeping for the hard heartness of her children. Shall there be no remedy? She sobs. Wringing her hands, whereupon, the spotless maiden law that Amazonian virgin, eldest child of violated justice answers, fifteen shillings. We are indebted to a lord broom for this new instance of the stubbornness of the poor for this new revelation of the pious vengeance of offended law. A few nights since his lordship, in a motion touching prison discipline, stated that a man had been confined for ten weeks, having been fined a shilling, and fourteen shillings costs, which he did not pay because he was absent one Sunday from church, who can doubt, that from the moment John Jones the reader may christen the offender as he pleases was discharged, he became a most pious, church-going Christian, he had been ten Sundays in prison, be it remembered, and had therefore heard at least ten sermons, he crossed the prison threshold a new-made man, and wending towards his happy home, had in his face so lately smirched with shameless vice such lustrous glory, that even his dearest creditors failed to recognize him. Beautiful is the village church of Thierry Seafield, beautiful is its antiquity beautiful its porch, thronged with white-headed men and ruddy little ones, beautiful the graves, sown with immortal seed, clustering round the building, beautiful the vicar's horses the vicar himself preaches today, and very beautiful indeed, the faces, I, and the bonnets, two, of the vicar's daughters, Beautiful the sound of the bell that summons the lowly Christian to cast aside the pomps and vanities of the world, and to stand for a time in utter nakedness of heart before his Maker, and very beautiful the silk stockings of the dowager lady Canaan's footman, who carryeth with Sabbath humility his lady's books to church, yet all this beauty is as deformity to the newborn loveliness of John Jones, who, on the furthermost seat far from the vain convenience of pew and velvet hassock, sits and inwardly blesses the one shilling and fourteen shillings costs, that with more than fifteen horsepower had drawn him from the iniquities of the jerry shop and hessel farthing, to feed upon the manna dropping from the lips of the Reverend Dr. Fett, there sits John Jones, late drunkard, poacher, reprobate, but now, find into Christian goodness made a very saint, according to act of Parliament, if Mother Church, with the rods of spikenard which the law hath benevolently placed in her hands, will but whip her truant children to their Sunday seats, will only consent to draw them through the bars of a prison to their Sabbath sittings, will teach them the real value of Christianity, it being according to her own estimate with the expenses exactly fifteen shillings. Sure we are, that radicalism and chartism, and all the many foul pustules that, in the conviction of Holy Church, are at this moment poisoning and enervating the social body, will disappear beneath the precious ointment always at her touch when we consider the many and impartial blessings scattered upon the poor of England when in fact we consider the beautiful justice pervading our whole social intercourse when we reflect upon the spirit of goodwill and sincerity that operates on the hearts of the powerful few for the comfort, and happiness of the helpless million, we are almost aghast at the infidelity of poverty, forgetting in our momentary indignation, that poverty must necessarily combine within itself every species of infamy, poor men of England consider not merely the fine and the expenses attendant upon absence from church, but reflect upon the want of that beautiful exercise of the Spirit which, listening to precepts and parables in Holy Writ, delights to find for them practical illustrations in the political and social world about you. We know you would not think of going to church in masquerade of reading certain lines and making certain responses as a bit of Sabbath ceremony, as necessary to a respectable appearance as a Sabbath shaving. No. You are far away from the elegances of hypocrisy, and do not time your religion from eleven till one, making devotion a matter of the church clock. By no means, you go to hear it may be, the Bishop of Exeter, and as we have premised, what a beautiful exercise for the intellect to discover in the political doings of his grace in those acts which ultimately knock at your cupboard door is only a practical illustration of the divine precept of doing unto all men as you would they should do unto you. Well, You pray for your daily bread, and with a profane thought of the price of the four-pound loaf, your feelings are suddenly attuned to gratitude towards those who regulate the price of British corn. We might run through the scriptures from Genesis to a revelation, quoting a thousand benevolences illustrated by the rich and mighty of this land illustrated politically, socially, and morally in their conduct towards the poor and destitute of Britain, and yet the stiff-necked pauper will not dispose his Sabbath to self-enjoyment will not go to church to be rejoiced. By such disobedience, one would almost think that the poor were wicked enough to consider the church discipline of the Sabbath as no more than a ceremonious mockery of their six days wants and wretchedness. The magistrates would we knew their names. We would hang them up in the highways like the golden bracelets of your who have made John Jones religious through his pocket. Are men of comprehensive genius. There is no wickedness that they would not make profitable to the Church. Hence, it appears from Lord Broom's speech that John Bones was guilty of other excesses, and had been sent to prison for a violation of that dormant he wished he could say of it obsolete law. There being other excesses, for which, it appears, there is no statute remedy. The magistrates commit a piece of pious injustice, and lump sundry legal sins into the one crime against the Church. John Bones, For who shall conceive the profanity of man? May have called one of these magistrates, goose, or, jackass, and the offense against the justice is a contempt of the parson. After this, can the race of John Joneses fail to venerate Christianity as recommended by the bench? We have a great admiration of English law. Yet in the present instance, we think she shares very unjustly with Mother Church. For instance, Church in its neatness, says to John Jones, You come not to my house on Sunday, pay a shilling. John Jones refuses. What? exclaims Law, refuse the modest request of my pious sister, refuse to give her a little shilling, give me fourteen. Hence, in this Christian country, Law is a fourteen times the consequence of religion. Applauding as we do the efforts of the magistrates quoted by Lord Broom in the cause of Christianity, we yet conscientiously think their system capable of improvement. When the rustic police shall be properly established, we think they should be empowered to seize upon all suspected non-church gores every Saturday night, keeping them in the station houses until Sunday morning, and then marching them, securely handcuffed, up the mid of the parish church, to it be a touching sight for Mr. P. L. U. M. P. D. R. E., and such hard-sweating devotees, for the benefit of all offenders. we would also counsel a little wholesome private whipping in the vestry, punches, pencilings, member X. I. I. Illustration: Mr. Sancho Bull and his state physician, though surrounded with luxuries, the doctor would not allow Sancho to partake of them, and dismissed each dish as it was brought in by the servants. Vida, Don Quixote. Sweet autumn days, sweet autumn days, sweet autumn days. When harvest or the reaper slumbers. How gratefully I hymn your praise in modest but melodious numbers. But if I asked why these I make autumn the theme of inspiration. I'll tell the truth, and no mistake with autumn comes the long vacation. Of falsehoods I'll not shield me with a tissue autumn I love because no writs then issue. Others may hail the joys of spring, when birds and buds alike are growing, some the summer days may sing. When sowing, mowing, on are going, old winter, with his hoary locks, his frosty face and visage murky, may suit some very jolly cocks, who like roast beef, mince pies, and turkey, but give me autumn yes. I'm Autumn's child for then no declarations can be filed, Tom Connor's dilemma, a true tale, showing how ready wit may supply the place of ready money, Tom Connor was a perfect specimen of the happy, careless, improvident class of Irishmen who think it time enough to bid the devil good morrow when they meet him, and whose chief delight seems to consist in getting into all manner of scrapes, for the mere purpose of displaying their ingenuity of getting out of them again, Tom, at the time I knew him had passed the meridian of his life, he had, as he used to say himself, given up battering, and had luckily a small annuity fallen to him by the demise of a considerate old aunt who had kindly popped off in the nick of time. And on this independence Tom had retired to spend all that remained to him of a merry life at a pleasant little seaport town in the west of Ireland, celebrated for its card parties and its oyster clubs. These latter social meetings were held by rotation at the houses of the members of the club which was composed of the choicest spirits of the town. Their Dr. McFad, relaxing the dignity of professional reserve, condescended to play practical jokes on Corny Bryan, the bothered ex issman and Skinner, the attorney, repeated all Lord Norbury's best puns, and night after night told how, at some particular quarter sessions, he had himself said a better thing than ever Norbury uttered in his life. But the soul of the club was Tom Connor who, by his inexhaustible fund of humorous anecdotes and droll stories, kept the table in a roar till a late hour in the night, or rather to an early hour in the morning, Tom's stories usually related to adventures which had happened to himself in his early days, and as he had experienced innumerable vicissitudes of fortune, in every part of the world, and under various characters, his narratives, though not remarkable for their strict adherence to truth, were always distinguished by their novelty, one evening the club had met as usual, and Tom had mixed his first tumbler of coffee punch, after the Feast of Shells was over, when somebody happened to mention the name of Edmund Keane, with the remark that he had once played in a barn in that very town. True enough, said Tom, I played in the same company with him. You, you, exclaimed several voices, of course, but that was when I was a strolling actor in Clark's Corps, We used to go the Western Circuit and by that means got the name of the Connaught Rangers. There was a queer fellow in the company, called Ned Davis, an honest heart fellow he was, as ever walked in shoe leather. Ned and I were sworn brothers, we shared the same bed, which was often only a shakedown in the corner of a stable, and the same dinner, which was at times nothing better than a crust of brown bread and a draught of Adam's ale. I'll trouble you for the bottle, doctor, thank you, may I never take worse stuff from your hands. Talking of Ned Davis, I'll tell you, if you had no objection of a strange adventure which befell us once. Bravo, 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 was the unanimous cry from the members. Silence, gentlemen, said the chairman imperatively, silence for Mr. Connor's story. Hem, well then, sometime about the year never mind the year Ned and I were playing with the company at Lorry, business grew bad, and the salaries diminished with the houses, until at last. One morning at a rehearsal, the manager informed us that, in consequence of the depressed state of the drama in Galway, the Treasury would be closed until further notice, and that he had come to the resolution to depart on the following morning for Castlebar, whither he requested the company to follow him without delay. Fancy my consternation at this unexpected announcement. I mechanically thrust my hands into my pockets, but they were completely untened, I rushed home to our lodgings. Where I had left Ned Davis, he, I knew, had received a guinea the day before, upon which I rested my hopes of deliverance. I found him fencing with his walking stick with an imaginary antagonist, whom he had in his mind pinned against a closet door. I related to him the sudden move the manager had made, and told him, in the most doleful voice conceivable, that I was not possessed of a single penny. As soon as I had finished, he dropped into a chair. And burst into a long continued fit of laughter, and then looked in my face with the most provoking mock gravity, and asked, "What's to be done then? How are we to get out of this?" "Why," said I, "that guinea which you got yesterday." "Oh, oh, oh, oh!" he shouted. "The guinea is gone, gone!" I exclaimed, and I felt my knees began to shake under me. "Gone where? How?" I gave it to the wife of that poor devil of a scene shifter who broke his arm last week he had four children, and they were starving, what could I do but give it to them, had it been ten times as much they should have had it, I don't know what reply I made, but it had the effect of producing another fit of uncontrollable laughter, why do you laugh, said I rather angrily, who the devil could help it, he replied, your woe-begone countenance would make a cat laugh, well, said I, we are in a pretty dilemma here, we owe our landlady fifteen shillings, for which she will lay an embargo on our little effects three black wigs and a low comedy pair of breeches this must be prevented, but how, I inquired, how, never mind, but order dinner directly, dinner, said I, don't awaken painful recollections, go and do as I tell you, he replied, order dinner beefsteak and oyster sauce, beefsteak, are you mad, but before I could finish the sentence, he had put on his hat and disappeared, who knows, thought I after he was gone, he's a devilish clever fellow, something may turn up, so I ordered the beefsteaks, in less than an hour, my friend returned with exultation in his looks, I have done it, said he, slapping me on the back, we shall have plenty of money tomorrow, I begged he would explain himself, briefly then, said he, I have been to the billiard room, and every other lounging place about town, where I circulated, in the most mysterious manner, a report that a celebrated German doctor and philosopher, who had discovered the secret of resuscitating the dead, had arrived in Larry. How ridiculous, I said, don't be in a hurry. This philosopher, he added, is about to give positive proof that he can perform what he professes, and it is his intention to go into the churchyard tonight, and resuscitate a few of those who have not been buried more than a twelve month. Well, said I, what does all this nonsense come to that you must play the philosopher in the churchyard, me, certainly, you're the very figure for the part, after some persuasion, and some further development of his plan, I consented to wrap myself in an ample stage cloak, and gliding into the churchyard, I waited in the porch according to the directions I had received from Ned, until near midnight, when I issued forth, and proceeded to examine the different tombs attentively, I was bending over one, which, by the inscription, I perceived had been erected by, an affectionate and disconsolate wife, to the memory of her beloved husband, when I was startled at hearing a rustling noise, and, on looking round, to see a stout-looking woman standing beside me, Doctor, said she, addressing me, I know what you're about here, I shook my head solemnly, this is my poor late husband's tomb, I know it, I answered, I mean to exercise my art upon him first, he shall be restored to your arms this very night." the widow gave a faint scream, I'm sure, doctor, said she, I'm greatly obliged to you, Peter was the best of husbands but he has now been dead six months and I am married again, humph, said I, the meeting will be rather awkward, but you may induce your second husband to resign, number number doctor, let the poor man rest quietly, and here is a trifle for your trouble, so saying, she slipped a weighty purse into my hand, this alters the case, Said I, "Materially, your late husband shall never be disturbed by me." The widow withdrew with a profusion of acknowledgments, and scarcely had she gone when a young fellow, who I learned had lately come into possession of a handsome property by the death of an uncle, came to request me not to meddle with the deceased, who he assured me was a shocking old curmudgeon who never spent his money like a gentleman. A doer from the young chap secured the repose of his uncle. My next visitor was a weasel-faced man who had been plagued for twenty years by a shrew of a wife, who popped off one day from an overdose of whiskey. He came to beseech me not to bring back his plague to the world, and, pitying the poor man's case, I gave him my promise readily, without accepting a fee. By this time daylight had begun to appear, and creeping quietly out of the churchyard, I returned to my lodgings. Ned was waiting up for my return. What luck, said he, as I entered the room. I showed him the fees I had received during the night, I told you, said he, that we should have plenty of rhino today, never despair, man, there are more ways out of the wood than one, and recollect, that ready wit is as good as ready money, the physiology of the London medical student, aye, aye the new man, embryology precedes the treatise on the perfect animal, it is but right, therefore, that the new man should have our attention before the mature student. No sooner do the geese become asphyxiated by torsion of their cervical vertebrae. In anticipation of Michaelmas Day, no sooner do the pheasants feel premonitory warnings that some chemical combinations between charcoal, nitre, and sulfur are about to take place, ending in a precipitation of lead. No sooner do the columns of the newspapers team with advertisements of the ensuing courses at the various schools, each one cheaper. And offering more advantages than any of the others, the large hospitals spawning their extended field of practice, and the small ones ensuring a more minute and careful investigation of disease, then the new man purchases a large trunk and a hat box, buys a second-hand copy of Quain's Anatomy, and during the dispensing of his master's surgery in the country, and placing himself in one of those rattling boxes denominated by courtesy second-class carriages, enters on the career of a hospital pupil in his first season. The opening lecture introduces the new man to his companions, and he is easily distinguished at that annual gathering of pupils, practitioners, professors, and especially old hospital governors, who do a good deal in the gator line, and applaud the lecturer with their umbrellas, as they sit in the front row. The new man is known by his clothes, which incline to the prevalent fashion of the rural districts he has quitted, and he evinces an affection for cloth boots, or short Wellingtons with double soles and toes shaped like a toad's mouth, a propensity which sometimes continues throughout the career of his pupillage, he likewise takes off his hat when he enters the dissecting room, and thinks that beautiful design is shown in the mechanism and structure of the human body an idea which gets knocked out of him at the end of the season, when he looks upon the distribution of the nerves as a blessed board to get up, and no use to him after he has passed aid, but at first he perpetually carries it under his arm and whether he is engaged upon a subject or number delights to keep on his black apron, pockets, and sleeves like a barber dipped in a blacking ball, the making of which his sisters have probably superintended in the country, and which he thinks endows him with an air of industry and importance, the new man, at first, is not a great advocate for beer, but this dislike may possibly arise from his having been compelled to stand to pots upon the occasion of his first dissection, after a time, however, He gives way to the indulgence, having received the solemn assurances of his companions that it is absolutely necessary to preserve his health and keep him from getting the collie waddles in his tando noodles, a description of which obstinate disease he is told may be found in Dr. Copeland's Medical Dictionary and Gregory's Practice of Physic. But as to under what head the informant is uncertain, the first purchase that a new man makes in London is a gigantic notebook, a dozen steel pens on a card, and a screw inkstand. Furnished with these valuable adjuncts to study, he puts down everything he hears during the day, both in the theater of the school and the wards of the hospital, besides many diverting diagrams and anecdotes which his fellow students insert for him, until at night he has a confused dream that the air pump in the laboratory is giving a party, at which various scalpels, bits of gums, wax models, tourniquets, and fetal skulls, are assisting as guests an eccentric and philosophical vision worthy of the brain from which it emanates but the new man island from his very nature a visionary his breast swells with pride at the introductory lecture when he hears the professor desk and upon the noble science he and his companions have embarked upon the rich reward of watching the gradual progress of a suffering fellow creature to convalescence and the insignificance of worldly gain compared with the pure treasures of pathological knowledge whilst to the riper student all this resolves itself into the truth that three draughts, or one mixture, are respectively worth four and sixpence or three shillings, that the patient should be encouraged to take them as long as possible, and that the thrilling delight of ushering another mortal into existence, after being up all night, is considerably increased by the receipt of the tin for superintending the performance, i.e. if you are lucky enough to get it, it is not improbable that, after a short period, the new man will write a letter home. The substance of it will be as follows, and the reader is requested to preserve a copy, as it may, perhaps, be compared with another at a future period. My dear parents, I am happy to inform you that my health is at present and injured by the atmosphere of the hospital, and that I find I am making daily progress in my studies. I have taken a lodging in Bower place, University Street, Little Britain, or Land Street, as the case may be, for which I pay twelve shillings a week, including shoes. The mistress of the house is a pious old lady, and I am very comfortable, with the exception that two pupils live on the floor above me, who are.